Well, how's everybody doing? We're good. Wonderful. Um, before we, we get into our text, I just want to also thank all those that also supported us uh, when we had the event in Mamilodi. Um, you really, really made a difference. And your presence there was really encouragement to us um, to keep on going. Um, you know, it's just amazing how, how, how God has, has just worked since we've been part of Rooted. Um, some of our guys, when they, when they saw One, you know, busy doing vors and, and, and preparing there, they were so surprised. Because in our context, it's quite a, a big thing when a pastor does that. They're like, oh, the pastor is brying there. Like, wow. This is what? what? Um, and so stuff like that, little, little things like that really make an impact uh, in the place where God has called us. So I want to thank you. And uh, also, we will let you know with the next events that are coming as we continue to plant the church in, in Mamilodi. So we're in a series uh, of Thessalonians, uh, Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And I, I was trying to think that, you know, one gave me a really, really difficult text to preach. Um, I don't know why he, he assigned me this, this text in chapter 4, but I trust that, um, that it will speak to us. If we can turn our Bibles to the, to the, to the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I should say, not just our Bibles, but our devices and um, whatever else we can turn to. And so, as, 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 as Stephen and as Juan has, has done the previous work, um, you saw some things in, in chapter 1. You saw Paul as he encouraged the Thessalonians, the, the church in Thessalonians has encouraged them of their faith. Um, in chapter 2, as, as Onir was speaking as well, you saw Paul give his personal testimony, reminding them of how he lived when he was with them. Also in chapter 3, as Stephen preached it last week, you saw Paul give a ministry report of how the church, um, of how he is doing and, um, and, and how he is doing where he was. But in chapter 4, the temperature moves from 0 to 100 pretty quick. Like, like Paul is about to get into uh, the Thessalonians' private space, as one would say it. He's pulling up his chair and he's in their living room and he's like, now let's talk. So he's about to get real very quick. So let's read the text and then we'll get into it. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives us his spirit. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives us his Holy Spirit. I want you to notice, he uses the word holiness three times. In verses three, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Don't be, don't be put off by that word. It's the same word, holiness. In verse four, he says that you know how to control his own body in holiness. In verses seven, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. I think it's pretty clear what Paul is trying to say to the Thessalonians. It's a word that is known as sanctification, which is basically holiness. So I want to speak under the subject, redeeming holiness. Redeeming holiness. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this word. Your word is life. Your word is truth. Again, we come to you, God, holy God, Transcendent God, no one is like you. 
Thank you that you are, you, are, you are God all by yourself. You're not like us. You're not moved by what we are moved with. You, you, you are God. You, you, you know who you are. You are secure in yourself. Thank you that you are unlike us. But yet you choose to dwell amongst us. You choose, oh God, to have relationship with us. We are so grateful for knowing a God like you. And so as we, as we, as we expound your word, Lord, we pray that you will illuminate it. I pray that, God, you would help us to say what is in the text and not more and any less. Help us with this text. Rebuke us, reprove us, encourage us, and, and do, oh God, what you would have us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's appropriate that we, we, we feel the weight of the text or the, or the subject at hand as we start. Over the years, the word holiness has gotten a bad rep from both inside and from both outside the church. And so when, mis- when most people think of, of, of the word holiness, what comes to mind is, is, is somebody wearing a long dress, you know, somebody with no makeup on, somebody who's got Madea's facial expression before he disciplines a child. It's even worse when you try to have a conversation with people about swearing, uh, about avoiding certain movies, about modesty, about sexual purity. Those conversations normally end up with words like narrow-minded, holier-than-thou, <laughs> old-fashioned, fundamentalist, judgmental. People will look at you like you've been drawn by a time machine like from the 50s and you've just arrived in the 21st century. It's just not a cool subject to talk about. Now that's a sad reality when you read and you see what the Bible has to say about holiness. It's not, it's not just a subject for the super spiritual or, or the A-plus Christians. This is a subject for all of us. It's a subject for all of us. Scripture actually has a lot to say on it. Holiness is the very reason... When God saves you, He doesn't take you immediately to heaven. Have you ever thought about that? Why is it that when God saves you, He doesn't immediately take you out of this world and take you to heaven? It's because of holiness. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So there's a calling of God that is connected to holiness. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the Lord, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Colossians 1, 22, And although you were formerly alienated from the hostile mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you holy before Him. And blameless beyond reproach. That's a big deal, guys. That's a huge deal. If God has saved me, and His fundamental purpose is that I must be holy, then we better get this holiness thing right. What makes the subject even more solemn and serious is the kind of people that are going to be in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for their holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The writer of Hebrews exhorts his readers to strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. For those who know Jesus and love him and look forward to his appearing, I think we can join in that desire and say, we want to be with him, right? We want to be with Jesus. What the text says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And if you don't love holiness, why would you want to be in heaven? As J.C. Ryle says, the Lord of heaven is a holy God. The angels are holy creatures. The inhabitants are holy saints. The occupation is a holy place. So no matter how our culture or some of us view holiness, one thing for sure is that God makes a big deal out of it. So that question is not, should we bring up the subject of holiness? But the question is, what does holiness mean and how does it look like? Scripture assumes that those who know Jesus will desire to be holy and strive for holiness. Holiness is not something that should make us sad or feel like, like God is, is about to burst our happiness bubble or He's about to crash our party. Once again, for those that know Jesus, holiness is their happiness. In other words, God loved us so much that He knew what would satisfy us. He knew what would satisfy, satisfy us above worldly joy. 
He knew what would satisfy us above pleasures. God knew that being like him is really what we long for. So he kept us in this world in order to make us progressively like him. This is a weighty, weighty subject that we're talking about. So my goal in this sermon is that you would live excited about holiness. You would live excited about holiness, not only that, but you would see the seriousness of how God takes it. If you look at our text, verse 2, it's a pretty serious thing, the way Paul presents it. Look at verse 2 in in 1 Thessalonians 4. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. So this, this, this has Jesus behind it. This has the stamp of approval from Jesus. Jesus is giving this a stamp of approval. Verse 6, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Verse 8, therefore whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God. So it's about to get rough. It's about to get rough before it gets better. But it will get better. I see my role this morning as that of Tulima Donzela, uh, former public protector. You know, before you got into office, you were not having so much confidence in, in, the, in the Chapter 9 institutions. You were like, independent, nah, you know, they, they, not, they don't really know what they're doing. But after he left office, you, you kind of like felt the confidence, like, no, something is working in this country. Like, uh, you, 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 you were redeemed, your confidence was redeemed in, in those institutions. So this morning as well, I trust that we will redeem the word holiness, that you'll get excited, that you'll be joyful as you understand what it is and what you're supposed to do. So I want to give us four exhortations I see from the text on holiness. Four exhortations I see from the text on holiness. But before that, let's define what we're talking about. Holiness is primarily not a moral checklist. Holiness is not a moral checklist. You know, you're staying away from drugs, you lose weight, you serve at the soup kitchen, you take care of your few bad habits, you know, and you think you've made holiness. No, that's not primarily what holiness is about. Now, holiness would lead to certain outward habits that you will practice as a result of it, but doing it does not necessarily make you holy. When we talk about holiness, we're talking about the idea of being separate, the idea of being separate, the idea of being set apart. Holiness in its essence means to cut. It means to separate. I think, some, uh, I think, I think I heard somebody was on MasterChef they will understand the idea. It has the idea of a chef who's cutting carrots and separating it. As they're cutting it, they're separating it on the side. We get a picture of this in the Old Testament. When the Israelites left Egypt, one of the first things God to teach them, God had to teach them was who they were and that they were different from the other nations. For more than 400 years, they had learned Egyptian ways of doing things. They learned their ways of worship. They worship their gods. That's why in the wilderness, when Moses was taking time in the mountain to pray, they said, let us go and build a god, a god of gold, and worship it as our god. Because they had learned idol worship from Egypt. So God, after taking them out of Egypt, has the task of teaching them who he is and who he wants them to be. That's why he gave them laws in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus seems to teach that God is holy. It seeks to teach that God is holy. And they are to live their lives in a certain way so they can approach God and worship him. When we say God is holy, we mean that he is different. We mean that he is, he is not common. He is like, he's unlike any other creature, even as we sang this morning. When God was about to release his children in Egypt, he met with Moses. The Bible says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire in the midst of the bush. And when the Lord saw that Moses was intrigued by that, he called out to him and said, Moses, Moses, do not come near. Remove your sandals for the place you are standing in is what? Holy ground. What made the place holy? Is it the ground? That piece of real estate? What made it holy is because God was there. God's glory invaded that space and immediately that space was no longer common. That space was hallowed ground. So when you recognize God as holy, you treat him as different from any other thing. The opposite is true. One of the ways you will know that your holiness work with God is not where it should be, is when you treat God as common. When God becomes common, God just becomes like anybody, any one of us. 
When people in Scripture are presented with God's holiness, they are left in awe. They are dumbfounded. They see who they are in relation to God. So holiness is separation. The first exhortation. The first exhortation is you can make progress in holiness. You can make progress in holiness. Look at verse 1. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God just as you actually do, that you excel still the more. That you excel still the more. This, this may be obvious to some of you, but I think it needs to be said. You can make progress in your walk of holiness with God. Paul reminds them that this is not something new. He did instruct them on this, and in fact, they were already walking in holiness. In fact, he exemplified that. If you look at chapter 2, verse 10, uh, he says, You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you believers. The word for more here is the comparative idea of better than something else. Better than something else. It's used uh, in the book of Luke with the parable of the sheep where Jesus tells the parable of the man who had a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. The Bible says that when that man finds that sheep, he will rejoice over that one sheep more than he will of the hundred sheep. That's the idea Paul hears here to the Thessalonians, that they should excel more in pleasing God than what they are currently doing. Excel more in pleasing God than what they are currently doing. There are many of you sitting here who've concluded that this thing of holiness is tough. You, you've concluded that this, it's undoable. You've accepted that I'm just a poor sinner. I'm always going to walk around with sin. I'm going I'm, I'm to be limping every day in my walk with God. I believe God would have me say to you, you can make progress in your holiness with God. It's not the whole story, and I want to be careful how I say this. It's not the whole story to say, because Jesus has done it all on the cross, there is nothing that we can do to make God more or less pleased with us. There's, there's, there's some truth in that positionally. We've been accepted by Christ. Positionally, we are perfectly righteous. Positionally, we are perfectly holy. But there's also a practical sanctifying. There's a, there's a holiness walk that we have to work out. There are a number of texts that tell us that our walk with God is in obedience or disobedience, pleases or displeases God. It doesn't displease Him in a condemnation kind of way, like you're good for nothing or You'll, you, you'll never make it. That, that's not the way that it displeases him. It displeases him in the way of a father who's looking at his child who's going the wrong way and they see the result of their actions and they go, man, I wish you knew what you're doing. What you're doing is not right. So it's a for you kind of a frown when a believer walks in disobedience. According to Colossians 1 verse 10, those who bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God are fully pleasing to Him. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice pleases God, Romans 12 verse 1. Teaching the word in truth pleases God, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4. And our sister, as she was sharing, she was telling us, Mpumi, that she wants to please God. That, that's her desire. That's, that's the sense in which uh, Paul talks about it here. So Paul... Uh, if you look at chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. He says, we speak not pleasing man. So every time I go out, I'm looking to please not man, but I'm looking to please God. So Paul, are you saying that as you talk about the gospel, there's a way that you can talk about it that displeases God? Yes. Yes. And there's a way that you can talk about it that pleases God? Yes. Praying for the governing authorities pleases God in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 3. Supporting your family members in need pleases God in 1 Timothy. There's just so many texts that we can quote. In fact, the fact that Hebrews says that God disciplines his children tells us that he can sometimes be displeased with them. Again, not in a condemnation, you're good for nothing kind of a way, but in a loving way he chases his children. I'm saying this because some of you might be sitting here 
And you don't think that anything that you do matters to God. You don't think that anything that you do matters to God because you've concluded that you're a sinner. Whatever that you do is filthy rags. You cannot make any progress in holiness. I want to say to you, you can make progress in holiness. As you believe the gospel, as you obey the gospel over your flesh, as you obey scripture, as you turn away from sin to God, you are pleasing God. God is pleased with that. And I would urge you the same way Paul urged them, excel the more. Keep on going. Keep on pleasing God. Keep on striving, pursuing godliness. A couple of years ago, I was discouraged. I was, I was discouraged over the walk with God, seeing my own sin, my own failures. And I just... It was like, now, you know, is this worth it? Like, you know, trying to please God, trying to live holy, trying to fight sin and all of that. I was down. And as, at one time as I was praying, I don't want to be mystical or anything, when God spoke to me. Uh, but it's, it's as if in my thoughts, God was, was challenging me. And he told me, you've forgotten how to fight. You've forgotten how to fight. You've forgotten how to wrestle. See, I'd forgotten that this walk, it's not a holiday in the sea. The way that the Bible describes the walk of holiness before God, it uses pictures of athletes. As Oni was saying, it uses pictures of a farmer. It's like we're soldiers. We're soldiers in war. And, and, and we are sent out by our general to go and take over. And so as we are doing that, we're getting shot. We're getting shot at. We're getting wounded. So from time to time, we need to pray, man. We need to pray for more supplies from God. So, Lord, help us. So we take that and we continue going. This is a fight to keep excelling more and more. Again, as a way to justify yourself before God, no. Because of the cross, because of what he has saved you from, you want to be more pleasing to him in how you live. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15 Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So there is a positional holiness we have because of salvation. But as we live this life, we are working out our salvation, wanting to be who we really are. And as we do that, we can be more pleasing or less pleasing to God. Secondly, second exhortation from our text is one way holiness looks like is sexual abstinence and control. One way holiness looks like is sexual abstinence and control. Where do you get that? Look at verse 4, chapter 4, verses 3. For this is the will of God your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Paul zooms in on a specific kind of way that you are to be holy. This is one area the Thessalonians needed to please God. It's the area of sexuality. I think the government had an ABC approach a couple of years back uh, to the issue of sexuality as they saw the prevalence of sex amongst the youth and HIV. A, abstain. Uh, if that doesn't work, you know, you can't abstain. Too many girls, too many beautiful girls out there. The next one is be faithful. If that doesn't work, try C, condomize. That, that was the approach the government had a couple of years back. While Paul locks it down to one strategy, abstain. Abstain. It's not a multiple choice kind of a thing, you know. Uh, this doesn't work, and then we go there. 
you are a Christian, you're not married, then you have no business having sex with anybody else. You are to abstain from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, the original word pornea, from where we get the word pornography, refers to sexual sin of any kind, generic word for sexual sin, consenting bisexual, homosexuality, bestiality, anything that is a perversion. Jesus used the same word to refer to immoral thoughts, the passions, ideas, fantasies, every form of sexual corruption. It says from out of the heart proceed sexual immorality. It's the same word that he uses here. Paul says God's will is that you abstain from that. Many of you are asking, what is God's will for my life? Should I marry this person or not? Should I stay in this relationship or not? Should I move to another city or should to another town? Well, there's a couple of things that the Bible says are God's will. It's God's will that anyone does not perish but repent and know God. 2 Peter 3.9 It's God's will that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. But thirdly, it is God's will that you be sanctified or holy. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Don't worry so much about the nitty-gritty details of how your life will turn out. Rather focus on what God has revealed in His Word. So the question to, for me is, should I is not should I marry or not marry that person. The question is, Lord, help me to be holy. Help me to be holy. Somebody says, but how far is too far? Like, how much can I, can I sin before that sin before God? Like, how much do I get away with before it's sin before God? You see what you're doing? You're falling back to that moralistic, legalistic way of holiness we spoke earlier that defines holiness based on outward observance. The question is not how much can we get away with before we sin. The heart of the matter is those who are Christians have been saved from all sinful acts. They've been saved from the things that they used to find joy in. They are now born again. They are now born again. God has given them His Spirit and has made them to love holiness. So our attitude is since this relationship, this communion with God is so great, how can I walk closer to Him? That's the question. So that killing sin and repenting from it it is not God forcing us to give up things we like. But since our heart has been changed, holiness, because of our new identity and killing sin, it becomes a way for us to walk more closer to God. So it's a joy thing. It's not a burden. If you don't have a desire for holiness, for being more like Jesus, if your greatest joy is found in the things of this world, you have to check if God has changed your heart. You have to check if God has changed your heart, if you're truly a Christian. Christians may struggle with sin, but there is this thing God puts in them where that is not where they want to be. That's not where they want to be. Give this illustration. If, if you think of a, this is not to, uh, what, is, what is the word, to, to mock or anything. If you think of a pig who, that loves dirt, you know, a pig in a pig style, they, they love to eat things that are not right, uh, things that are dirty. Now imagine by some miracle that God would transform this pig uh, and it would become a human. If this human finds itself in a pig style, like imagine how embarrassing it would be for that guy or woman to find themselves like eating dirt and being dirty, being smelly and being in a pig style. That's the kind of picture that what God does in our hearts when He changes us, so that He changes our nature, so that the things we used to love, we now want to vomit. We're now ashamed of it. We don't feel good being in that environment because He has changed us. So if you find yourself loving and being comfortable in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, and you leave here thinking, I, I need to stop having sex, I need to stop sexual immorality, you'll be treating the symptoms and not the virus. The issue is transformation of the heart. You need to cry out to God for a new heart. A heart that loves God. A heart that loves holiness. A heart that hates sin. And only God gives new hearts. We cannot change ourselves. If you've already passed the line of faith, 
and you've kind of gotten used to sexual sin and you've numbed your conscience into quietness on the sin of sexuality or sexual immorality, I hope you realize the seriousness of where you're heading. Jesus died for this sin. He absorbed the Father's wrath so that we would be free from this. What you are communicating is that you don't really care much for Jesus on the cross and for that sin. You're treating God as common, not any different from any other thing. Because one thing about God is that He loves His glory. He doesn't want anybody to compete with that. So you need to repent and come to the cross and realize afresh the cost and the beauty of, of the cross. And if you're here and you're saying, you know what, I've messed up. I've messed up. But I want to be holy. I want to be pleasing to God. Can He take me back? Can God take me back? My answer is yes, He can. And He will. If you can read John chapter 8. I'm not going to even narrate the story. Um, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? So Jesus is in a conundrum, in a dilemma, what he's going to say. The Lord clearly states it. This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the old ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I love this. Jesus is left alone with the woman. That's what it is. It's, it's her and Jesus. Jesus stood and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and from, from now on, sin no more. That is Jesus' heart for those that are coming weary, wounded, broken, in desperate need of a Savior. You can receive healing. You can receive healing. doesn't mean that you're going to feel all right after one week of making that decision to be serious about holiness. The enemy will remind you of your past. He will condemn you. But later on, We'll just say a few practical things on this. But the positive side of abstaining, Paul says also that you, you should know how to control your own body, says we're back in Thessalonians. That each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor. I'm not going to remind you and bombard you with our culture's obsession with the body. Like you see it on television. You see it on social media. You see it on Instagram. I mean, sometimes I'll be on the internet, and I'm suddenly bombarded with an image that I didn't apply for, like, oh my word, like, what, what just happened right now? Uh, you know what I'm saying? That's, 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 that's the culture that we live in. So Paul says here, there's a way that you are to use and control your body. How? In holiness and honor. In holiness and honor. Holiness means set apart, different. Honor means something of substantial value. Let me read it again that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness in a way that is different and honor treating it as something of value, which leads us to our third exhortation. Holiness distinguishes Christians from non-Christians. Holiness distinguishes Christians from non-Christians. Look at verse 5. It says here, that each of you now to possess his vessel in sanctification on a not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Like the Gentiles who do not know God. The logic is if you know God, there is a way that you are to handle yourself that is different from those who do not know God. I think that's, that's the faithful interpretation of this text. If you are a Christian, are you handling your body 
in a way that is different from those that do not know Jesus. Again, as a way to show that you're better? No. It's a result of the implication of what he has done in your life. You want to be pleasing to him in your thoughts. Uh, you want to be pleasing to him in how you dress. You want to be pleasing to him in how you talk. You want to be pleasing to him in what you watch. You want to be pleasing to him in what you listen to. It's not a legalistic, holier-than-thou uh, kind of a thing. It's a, it's a love thing. It's a love thing. Um, when a couple of months or years ago, this, this drink called the dragon, dragon drink came out. And I used to love this drink. Um, I used to buy it everywhere and stuff like that. But my wife, every time that I would drink it, because she's really good with, with the body and what is good to drink and not, she, she, like, she, she really hated it. She didn't want me to drink that drink. And so there were times when, when I was buying the drink, like her picture would come in my mind. Like I'm thinking, if my wife saw me right now drinking this, she would actually kill me. Um, and so I, I, I stopped buying the drink. Uh, first of all, because it's, it's, it's not good for you. Um, I'm sorry if, if, if you work for Dragon, but it's... it's it's tested that it's not good for you. But secondly, it's because I want to please her. I want to please her. I don't want to see her sad. I don't want to see her to see her angry at me. I avoid dragon because I love her. That's the heart of what Paul is saying to the saints. The issue is what God has done in your heart. If he has changed your heart and given you a new life and his presence, his identity, you, you, you naturally want to please him. He's not messing up your party. He's redirecting those who love him on what will give them the greatest joy, namely him. If you are a Christian, be careful of trying to be so like those who don't know God that there is no difference in how you and they live their life. Let's engage the culture. Let's engage the culture. Let's affirm the things that the culture, that the things that are right. I'm not saying we must be hermits or we must be weirdos or something like that. Um, but as you do that, don't get caught up in violating the clear things that the Bible says that are displeasing to God in the name of being relevant. Our first allegiance is to God. We are first to be relevant to God. Doesn't necessarily mean that if we talk, dress, live like non-Christians, then they will accept Jesus as Savior. Doesn't mean that. Kevin DeYoung says, the world provides no cheerleaders on the pathway to godliness. Let me, keep, let me quickly give you my theology of entertainment, um, how I determined the media stuff. Quickly turn to, to Ephesians chapter 5. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Because um, I know that sometimes this could, can get very difficult and very uh, technical as, we, as we're trying to sieve out what is correct and what is not correct for us. Um, but I, I think this text helps us here, and at times we miss it but at least it's, 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 it's a standard for us. Ephesians chapter 5. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Think of how many questions of should I watch this movie or should I check this out, should I will be, will be taken care of just by the text. Sexual immorality and impurity must not even be named among you. Even this past Tuesday, we went out and watched a movie uh, called the, the, the Mechanic Resurrection, I think. Mechanic Resurrection by um, Jason something. Uh, so, yeah. So we didn't plan to to watch that. We wanted to watch something else, you know, we wanted to go out and have fun and stuff like that. And so we decided to quickly get in there. But as I was watching the, the movie there, there was just a scene there that happened. I'm like, and I was just sitting there. And I'm like, ah, I should have checked the review. Uh, should have checked the trailer and done some work on that. And when I left there, I was like, yeah, this thing should not happen. And so I'm saying this to say how how, how difficult sometimes the decisions be are. But you need to try. You need to at least try and think about it. Don't, don't just assume 
that you're supposed to consume whatever culture gives you. Um, and so this, this is a good theology of entertainment to check yourself. Look at verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. How many comedy shows are just like, they're out. It's just how many filthiness and foolish talk or crude joking and stuff. Our fourth exhortation as we seek to redeem holiness um, from the text is holiness does not take sexual advantage of another brother or sister. We get that from verse um, 6. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. From this verse, we also see that it's not just about you, but sexual immorality actually spills over to other people. So that you could even sin against a fellow brother or sister in how you handle them in this area. Look, look at it again. That no one transgress and wrong his brother. Uh, you read that and you're like, what is he talking about? In this matter. Oh, what matter is it, Paul? The matter I've just talked about, right? The matter of sexual immorality. And so as you look at the definition of what sexual immorality is, adultery, fornication, and all of that. You could sin against a fellow brother or sister in our thoughts. In our thoughts. We could sin against them in adultery. Paul says this is so serious that God himself fights for the offended party. In essence, he's saying, you sin against my child, you're fighting against me. I will be their avenger. I will be their avenger. Now, it's all good. Somebody says... You've given us the theology and what the text says. How do I practically do this? How do I do this? And quickly, um, as we wrap up, I want to give you a, a, an acronym called ANTHEM. An acronym called ANTHEM. Firstly, A, avoid. Avoid. As much as in your power and control, avoid situations that place you in a place that will arouse ungodly desire. Pornography. Don't browse the internet alone if you know that's your struggle. Don't overstay your sleep in bed. Like, it's going to trip you up. You know that if you sleep later than you're supposed to, you're gonna, your mind's going to start wandering. Certain music arouses certain emotions. Movies, magazines. Check out the trailer before you watch uh, certain movies. Avoid. Speaking to myself, praise God. A. The second one is N. Say no. Say no. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Some of the stuff we'll discuss in our city groups and go deeper practical application. Piper suggests that what you do within the first five seconds of a lustful thought determines what's going to happen to it. As John says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Strike fast and strike hard. Somebody says, what just happened right now? Are we, it seems like we, we've just gotten into law mode. I thought we are grace people. We're still in grace mode. You need grace to be able to avoid these things. You need grace to say no. You need grace to wake up in the morning when you're tired, kid been up all night, working and you've been busy, or you've been busy with an assignment, but you know there's time, the importance of time spent with God. You need grace to lift up your hand and switch off that snooze button. Says, I'm going to wake up and get in the Word. T. Anthem. Turn. From, from defensive, avoid. Now we're turning. We must move from the defensive to the offense. The enemy is aggressive. He has planted himself everywhere, even in your mind. But what we must know is that lust is like, is like fool's gold. It promises something it can never deliver. Let's stock our minds with the superior promises of Jesus. Memorize scriptures. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, pleasures evermore. 
when that man looks too good or when that woman looks too good to your eyes, remind yourself of the scriptures. I'm getting real. Y'all, y'all are like looking at me like, oh, yeah, like I have to fight. I have to fight every morning. If I don't do that, I'm just going to be like any other preacher who just messed up because they didn't memorize scripture. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, think upon these things. If it's worthy of praise, think upon it. But as for me, to be near God is my good. Psalm 73, 28. That's what we call superior pleasure. You're fighting lust with lust. You're fighting it with a superior pleasure. H, hold. Hold. Now, many of us miss it here. You have to hold and keep on holding. You have to excel more and more, as I was saying. Just because you had victory yesterday does not mean that you will survive tomorrow. Still, you got to get up in the morning. Still, you got to get in the Word. As an act of legalism, no, because you need food for your soul. You're hungry. You need to fellowship with Jesus so that you can be victorious over temptation throughout the day. We've got to move on. Move is the next one. Move. Move into a useful activity away from idleness and other vulnerable behaviors. Last grows fast in the garden of leisure. Find a good work to do and do it with all your might. Romans 12 verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Conclusion, what I've described might seem radical to you, um, but it should be the normal experience of every Christian. If you listen to this and you say, this is a bit much, I'm interested to know how are you fighting sin in your life? How are you radically fighting sin in your life? You have an enemy that hates you, got more than 2,000 years' experience in tempting people. Your flesh is unredeemed. You've got a world that hates your values and hates your Jesus, that hates our faith. What strategy are you using to fight sin? This is like in the ocean, you know, when you, when you put in the ocean... If you don't swim, the current of the world, the pleasures of sin naturally take you along with it. You have to swim against the current in order to make progress. Show me a man who loves Jesus. I will show you a man who takes holiness seriously. The heart, holiness is not just about rules, cold, boring life. It's the result of a heart whose desires has been changed, a heart that no longer loves the things it used to love, a heart that has been captured by Jesus and all that he loves. God has not left us alone. He's given us his Holy Spirit, as the text says in the last verse. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to be holy. It is the Holy Spirit who changes us to become like Jesus. I don't know how he does it. Try to figure it out for years, but he's got a way of changing us. Sometimes you could be struggling with something and you know, it just magically takes it away. <laughs> Habit is gone, no longer wanting it done. But sometimes it takes time as you fellowship with Jesus, as you get in the Word, as you, throughout the years, as you grow, you just find yourself like, hmm, what happened? Like, I used to, this used to be a big deal, but the Lord has helped me throughout the years. As you continue walking with Jesus, you find yourself no longer being enslaved to what you used to be enslaved to. It's got a thousand ways of separating us. And I know there are many of you who are living testimonies of the separating grace of God this morning. Do I have any witnesses who are witnesses of the separating grace of God? So big ups to you, those who are feeling the fight, the wrestle. It's hard, but you're striving for holiness. You want to be like Jesus. You want to be pleasing to him. Because of your love for Jesus, you're saying no to guys that may be interested in you, but clearly don't love Jesus. Might be hard, but you're careful in how you dress, that it's modest, doesn't draw attention to your body. Big ups to you, that couple, as you want to glorify Jesus, and you say, we're not going to meet in certain places because you know what's going to happen to your flesh when you meet there. Big ups to that single lady, that gentleman. It seems like it's, it's been long, isn't it? You've been waiting 
You've been waiting for God to bring someone, but you will not compromise on your biblical standards in order to be in a relationship. Hold on to yourself. Hold on to your dignity. Keep yourself holy. God is preparing you for the best. Don't worry about who's getting married and who's getting into a relationship and who's getting engaged and keep your eyes on Jesus. And at the right time, he makes things beautiful. Big ups to you who are, is in a sinful relationship. You are sinful relationship, but you heard the gospel and how Jesus gave himself up for you. And you said, you know what? This is not right. This is not pleasing to God. And you decided that it's wrong for me to be sleeping with somebody who's not my husband without being married. And you had to make some difficult choices, isn't it? And it's hard because you're sometimes tempted to go back. Stay on course. Jesus will be with you. He will honor that decision. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to a relationship of growing in holiness with him. Holiness is not boring. It's not legalistic. It's not fundamental. If you come to Jesus, he will make you holy. If you surrender your life to him, he will make you to be like him. You're not too dirty. You're not too broken. You're not too long in sin that he will not take you. Come to Jesus and he will change you, not yourself. Let's pray. Father, this, this is a solemn, uh, serious subject that you have given us today, and as I read it, I'm, my heart is on operation, my heart is on theater as I think about um, my own life and how I'm doing in the issue of pursuing you in your holiness. Lord, um, I pray for that one this morning that's sitting here and they're feeling like, oh God, they're too dirty and they can't come to you un 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 unless they they clean themselves up. May you, by the power of your spirit, just convict them and let them know that you are available. You have your arms open wide and you will take them in. If they'll come broken, if they'll come with their sin to you, you will accept them. Pray, God, that we will take this subject seriously, that we'll be Christians that are not only serious about justification, but serious also about sanctification that will take our fight with holiness seriously in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the challenges, Baba, even as we wake up tomorrow morning and Monday and not feeling like going to work, I pray for sanctifying grace. I pray, oh God, for saving grace. I pray for strength to fight temptation, for strength, oh God, to enjoy holiness, to enjoy fellowship with you. For it is only when we fellowship and commune with you that we are able, O oh Father, to overcome sin. So may you, O oh God, through this word, just encourage, rebuke, strengthen all of us that we can be more and more like you. Amen.